Receiving incoming transmission. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Radical Christian. What's up, Radical Christians? Isn't it good to be back? It is. So today's episode is about the new book released by my buddy Josh Peck and his colleagues Donna Howell and Allie Anderson Henson. Now they released a book called The Afterlife. So in honor of that book, we're going to take a look at ancient cultures and what they believe about the afterlife and see if there are any similarities and differences between that and Christianity. So it's going to be a blast as always. And I'd like to thank Tom Dunn. He sent me this radical shirt, Resist and Rescue. This is for his new campaign. So let's go ahead and talk about that for a sec. The, the main verse of his new campaign is James 1.27. And it says, Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. So that's an awesome verse. That, that whittles religion down to a fine point. So he basically gave away 100 shirts to people as a thank you for people buying his products over the years and supporting his ministry. Now, this new campaign, he's releasing more details as it develops, but it's basically it's resist and rescue. So it's resisting the world, the devil and the flesh so you can rescue yourself and then be able to rescue others. Now, Tom Dunn's ministry through the black, he makes amazing documentaries. Uh, me and my wife love them. You have the first one, Detestable, which is about satanic ritual abuse and MK Ultra type stuff. And he interviews somebody about basically the plot of Stranger Things. And it's a little suspicious that that show came out after Tom Dunn's documentary. But, you know, whatever. Maybe they stole it from him. Maybe they didn't. Uh, you also have This Is War. Now, that one we loved. That was a spiritual warfare and a, a closer look at that. Many different interviews. Derek Gilbert is interviewed in there. And then lastly, you have Fire and Brimstone. Now, this is a story of a transgender man who, who lived as a woman for years, finally coming to Christ and going back on all that, renouncing that, and then fighting against that. That one we have yet to watch, but that one is super timely for what's going on in our, in our world today. So go ahead and go to throughtheblack.com or resistandrescue.com to find out about the new campaign. Get one of these awesome shirts. They also have one in tan and maroon. The colors are sweet. But let's go ahead and move on to our episode. So let's go ahead and get on to our afterlife episode layout. But before we do, let's enter into a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for everything you do for us. Thank you for giving us the freedom while we still have it to, to meet together, to still be able to find this kind of thing on the internet where we could talk about you and share your name. We ask that this message completely glorifies your name and nothing else. We ask that there's nothing taken away from this message that does not glorify your name. We ask that you push down all errors, you 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 change hearts towards you, and you just do your work, and you keep me from going anywhere during this talk where you don't want me to go. Please bless everyone listening, and thank you for letting us be a part of your kingdom and for always providing for us your protection and your sustenance. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, now, episode layout. So our episode is basically six parts this week. It's very simple. Our first part, we're going to look at the afterlife beliefs of ancient Israel. Second, we're going to look at the afterlife beliefs of ancient Egypt. Third, ancient Greece. Fourth, ancient Rome. Fifth, we're going to do a summary with, with some comparing and contrasting. Sixth, we are going to get into our super sweet why this matters, because none of this matters if you can't apply it to your life. 
So let's go ahead and get right into it. We're going to look at ancient Israel. Now, we're going to use the term pagan. Now, it's important to, to say that sometime during the Roman reign, the context of the word pagan went from referring to a rural demographic of a person, so where they were from, to somebody who worshipped a god other than the Christian god. So we're going to use the, the latter definition. Now, Abram of the Bible, he came from a family of idolaters with pagan beliefs and practices. Now, we see that in Joshua 24, 2, which says, And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, they served other gods. So there we go. Abram's, later to be Abraham, his, his father served other gods. And I believe he was an idol maker as well. So it would be no surprise that if Abraham was raised in a pagan household, that he would carry over some of these beliefs. You know that when you become a Christian, your theology doesn't just click in right away. Sometimes there's stuff that just never you fully get there. We're, we're man and we're prone to error, but the goal is to get there on all the major things. You know, who Jesus was, you can't, there's no salvation without knowing that. How to obtain salvation, what sin is, those kind of things, those are important to know. Sometimes we carry over our old life into the new. It's, it's our job and to work with Christ to kind of eliminate those, but not, not all of those leave us, although it'd be better if they did. So Abraham had some of this as well. So the culture that, that Abraham was from was influenced by the Mesopotamian culture. So let's get into seven points about what they believed. Number one, they believed that speaking the name of the dead would help to not forget them. So not just obviously you speak their name and you remember them, but they, they did this almost like as, as a ritual or as a, a, a religious practice where, hey, we're going to speak the name of them to further cement their legacy and let them not be forgotten. Another thing they believed is that the deceased continued to live and exist in the underworld, which is where their soul went after death. So that's not too far off from what we believe, but they, they believed that the dead had a, way, a far more active role in the living realm. So they believed it was the duty of the living to provide for the dead and that relatives had to provide food and drink for the dead. So the relative that did this would be called the son of the cup or the cup bearer. So basically when you died, your son would take over the role of feeding you, feeding your dead body after you died. Now, sometimes the dead were buried under the house, basically, to make the feeding of them easier. Now let's look at a quote from Derek Gilbert on this matter. It says, Your well-being in the afterlife depended on the faithfulness of your descendants to perform certain rituals. The eldest son inherited the, res the responsibility and care of the feeding of the dead. So if an heir wasn't available, they would hire concubines or adopt children to perform the task. So another thing they would do is install a libation tube. This is a tube running from the floor down to the mouth of the dead so they could pour stuff in. Now you think of people um, in like gang movies and stuff like that when they when they pour a little bit of their, their 40 ounce out for their homies. This sounds direct, exactly like that, libation tube where they're pouring stuff into. So maybe that pouring some out for your homies isn't such a good thing. And our, our last little fact we're gonna look at is number seven. People would leave offerings at graves like food or precious oils or ornaments, stones, jewelry, uh, to provide for the dead ancestors. So they had the belief that you had to provide for them. That's the main takeaway. That when people died, they still needed to be provided for because they still went on living in a capacity where they needed things and could interact with, with humans. So let's look at a, a scenario basically laid out for us with, with these facts. So once a month on the night of no moon, which was the darkest night of the month, it was believed that the, the veil between the human realm and the spirit realm was the thinnest. Now people would summon their dead ancestors through a ritual by sharing a meal. Now this is the Kispam ritual we talked about. So they would call their name and then they would provide a drink for them by pouring it onto their graves. Now that was basically how you would provide, one of the ways you would provide for them. 
So all of this has gone into detail in the book Veneration. I highly recommend it. You know, uh, we've done several episodes on that book and we will do several more, Lord willing. It is a great book. It really, really, like I said before, it brings to life a lot of the things regarding the Nephilim, who they were after they died. And a lot of the, the practices done in the Bible that we don't really realize, you know, what they were for, or what they meant, such as Manasseh being buried in the garden. Now, the fact that the living had to provide for the dead may be the reason why Abraham was so stressed about not having an heir. So he was he was worried that nobody was going to provide for him. That's the likely scenario. So as you know, he didn't have a kid and he was getting way older in years. And he's like, who's going to take care of me? My servant? He's, he's basically stressing out about it. Now, this makes more sense in the light of the beliefs from the culture he was from of the dead needing to be provided for by the living. So this led him to, to have a son outside of his marriage with his wife's handmaiden, Hagar. Now that son was named Ishmael. Now, God later provided him an heir on his terms, which was Isaac. And this taught Abraham that God will provide and it will be on his terms and he does not have to force the hand of God. So this is a prime example of understanding the culture at the time and it giving you more a deeper understanding of the biblical text. So we see some of the, the, the remnants of these beliefs and practices today in many Chinese, Japanese, and African religions. These are all areas where ancestors are venerated. Now, when I was researching this topic, I actually found an article, and it is a Indonesian festival where they dig up their dead, and they clean them up, and they celebrate with them. And I saw the pictures, and it is disgusting. It looks like a horror movie slide. So if you think that this is ancient, it's not. It's going on today. So let's move on to our second section, Ancient Egypt. So the Egyptian religious system was partly animistic and partly mythological, with the worship of the spirit as the main focus. So we know what mythological means, but what does animistic means? Now animism, from the Latin word anima, which means breath, spirit, or life, is the belief that objects, places, and creatures all possess a distinct spiritual essence. So in Egyptian culture, immortality was a central theme, and it was believed that each person had a divine counterpart that lived on past death in the afterworld. So death was, was basically an interruption of a continued lifespan. Now, in Egyptian culture, there was conditions to obtaining the afterlife, such as the body had to be preserved, mummification, and embalming. So if their body wasn't correctly preserved, they would have a very low chance of surviving in the afterworld. They also believed that preserving the body kept the soul connected to it to ensure that the spirit could return to it in the afterworld. So the soul had to then navigate the Egyptian version of hell before reaching its final destination. And however well prepared you were for this is how high of the success rate you would have of reaching your, your final destination. Upon death, funerary items were placed in the tombs of the dead to provide for them. Amulets were something that were placed with the dead. They were, they were used for protection and guidance in the afterworld. So like basically charms and stuff like that. Now, funerary texts were also placed in tombs. And these were for like basically guides to navigating the nether realm. Now, they also placed shabtis. Now, we've seen those. There's a little, there's the, the canopic jars. Um, but then you had shabtis, which were little small statuettes with an invocation or a spell put over them. So they would come back to life in the afterworld with the deceased and they would act as their servants. So they're basically little like convenient little servants buried with them to resurrect with them and then serve them. Now, coffins and tombs were etched with paintings, pictures, spells, and prayers to guide the deceased through the afterworld and to protect their physical body from decay. So already the two, the two main takeaways from this are the physical body was of high importance and preparation for the afterlife was done. Uh, a lot of guides, a lot of uh, servants made for them, a lot of, a lot of amulets, magical items. There was many rituals performed over the mummies before they were buried in the tombs. 
Now, one of these was called the opening of the mouth ceremony. Now, this is where the priests burned incense and performed anointing incantation, which is like a spell, while touching the mummy with ritual objects. Now, this was done to stimulate its five physical senses for use in the afterlife. Now, uh, this opening of the mouth ceremony, we also see similar stuff with, with idols. You know, they, they make a big statue of a, of a god or a big uh, wooden thing, and they'd have to do the opening of the mouth ceremony so it could receive the food and drink provided for it. So the afterlife in Egyptian culture was a place of peril where any misstep would result in permanent death. So let's look at a, a quote from historymuseum.ca. It says, Traveling on a solar bark, the mummy passed through the underworld, which was inhabited by serpents armed with long knives, fire-spitting dragons, and reptiles with five ravenous heads. Upon arriving in the realm of the Duat, which is the land of the gods, the deceased had to pass through seven gates, reciting accurately a magic spell at each stop. If successful, they arrived at the Hall of Osiris, the place of judgment. So, this judgment, this was called the weighing of the heart ceremony. Now, this was overseen by Anubis, the giant, disgusting-looking jackal god. He was the god of embalming. Now, this whole ceremony was recorded by Thoth, the god of writing. You'll know him from the Emerald Tablets of Thoth. So 42 gods would listen to the confessions of the deceased, and then their heart was placed on a scale, and it was weighed in comparison with a feather belonging to the goddess of truth and justice, which was Ma'at. Now, so you have the scale, you put their heart on one side and a feather from Ma'at on the other. Now, they believe that your heart held all the deeds that you did in your life. So however many bad deeds you did, it would weigh your heart down. So if your heart was heavier than the feather, you were not granted immortality, and Amemet, the goddess of the underworld would eat the person's heart and then they would suffer permanent death. So they'd be done for. Now there was one way to cheat this process. So we mentioned that they would put amulets in the tombs and the, uh, the tombs of the people they buried. So let's talk about amulets. Amulets were special in two ways, in significance and position on the body. So it, the significance of an amulet, uh, each amulet meant something specific and were meant for different things like protection or good fortune. So that's the, that's the, the significance. Then the position on the body, it was specific to the part of the body they wanted the amulet to affect, basically. So they put like maybe an amulet around their neck. Uh, I think the they mentioned like a heart scarab was one of the amulets commonly used. But basically, if they if they use this specific amulet, it would have an incantation on it and it would be used during the weighing of the heart ceremony and it would cause the heart to pass the test. So it would basically be like a get out of jail free card. They put a spell on this, this specific amulet, they, they put it on the mummy and then it would get them through that, that screening process. So when a Pharaoh survived this judgment, so Pharaoh specifically, it was believed that they would become one with the God of the dead and the ruler of the underworld, which was Osiris. So like I said earlier, the main takeaways from the Egyptian beliefs are that the body, the physical body was highly important and needed in the afterlife and the living had to provide for the dead and, and equip them for their journey through the afterlife. Now let's look at section three, ancient Greece. So the Greeks believed that when a person died, Thanatos, the Greek god of death, would take a lock of their hair. Why? I don't know. So their soul or shade would separate from their body and be led to the river Styx by Hermes, the messenger of the gods. Now the river Styx was the entranceway to the underworld and could only be crossed if the traveler had the fare. Now this fare was typically provided for the deceased by someone placing a coin in their mouth. Uh, you're familiar with Vikings, they put the coin over the eyes. Now in the Greek culture, they would put the coin in the mouth for the ferryman. Now this ferryman, his name was Charon, and he was usually depicted as an emaciated skeleton. He would ferry them across the river Styx and the Acheron, or Acheron, which is the river of woe. 
So those who would not pay the toll, they would be denied entrance to the underworld, and they were forced to wander forever. Now this wandering, we see we see the Rephaim related to wandering in the biblical text. That's interesting. Now, these spirits would roam until they would join the underworld goddess, Melano, who would terrorize the living throughout the night as ghosts. So basically, they didn't have the fare. Melano comes up, picks them up, and says, we're going to go terrorize the living as ghosts. Now, in the biblical worldview, those would be demons. So if they did pay the toll, they would cross the river and reach the opposite bank where they would encounter Cerberus, the three-headed guardian dog of the underworld. Now, Cerberus's job was to keep souls from wandering in and out of the underworld. So he's literally he's a giant guard dog. The next phase of the journey would call for the deceased to drink from the river Leith, which, which flowed out of the cave of Hypnos. Now, these waters would cause a person to forget their earthly life, their earthly memories, their earthly cares. It basically factory reset them. Then after that, they would be judged by Minos, Ikos, and Radamanths, who would assess the person's deeds, and they would decide if they would enter either the beautiful land of Elysium, with good deeds, sent back to dwell in the Asphodel fields if they had neutral deeds, or sent to Tartarus if they had bad deeds. So the whole afterworld was called Hades, and Hades was also a person in Greek mythology. In Greek mythology, Hades had three distinct regions. Once the fee was paid, the rivers crossed, and the judgment was faced. It had Elysium for good deeds, the Asphodel fields for neutral, and Tartarus for bad deeds. So it had three-tiered afterlife. Now, how does that compare to Christianity? Two-tiered afterlife. Heaven, hell. Now, the takeaway from the, the Greek thought is that basically there's a three-tiered afterlife, and you had to you had to make a journey after death to reach your final goal. You see a, a consistent theme of once you die, there's still more that has to be done to obtain your spot in the afterlife. Now, let's move on to the ancient Romans. Now, as we all know, the ancient Romans copy-pasted the Greek mythology. That's that's the joke going around, huh? Anyone laugh? Did you? You in the back? Did you laugh? Huh? So they had many similarities between the, the Greek beliefs. So the Romans believed that when people died, they were reunited with their dead ancestors. They also believed that it was the job of the son of the deceased to sift through the ashes of his father's funeral pile, locate a single bone, and exclaim that his father had now joined the divine spirits, which were the ancestors. So he'd search through his, the ashes of his father, find a bone, and say, he did, he joined the ancestors, he did it. So Romans also believed that a few of their select founders became gods, such as Aeneas and Romulus. You know, Romulus is one of the ones who founded, who in mythology founded Rome. So they believe that they became gods. Now, the Roman Senate even deified prominent individuals after their death, starting with Julius Caesar. So where do we see that? We see that in Roman Catholicism with saints, a very similar practice. So right here, they basically elevated Julius Caesar to the status of God after his death. Now, like the Greeks, the Romans believed the afterlife had three parts, and it was similar three parts. Um, I don't know if Asphodel Fields was, was what they called their neutral place, but basically Tartarus was the bad place, Elysium was the good place, and they had a neutral place. So unlike the Greeks, the Romans believed that Mercury, the son of Jupiter, escorted the deceased to the underworld instead of Charon. Now, we know Jupiter is the Roman version of the Greek Zeus, and we know that the Greek Zeus is referred to in the biblical text as Satan. And if you want more on that, go watch my Beelzebub video on my old channel, The Radical Christian, and you can get all of, all of the info about that that you need. So when Christianity came into the picture, the Roman view of the afterlife drastically changed in favor of Christian views. So they started kind of transferring over. Now they kept the views of heaven and hell, but abandoned views such as reincarnation and the way to attain eternal life in heaven. So you see that the Romans, the takeaway from them is that they were basically an, an in-between from the Greeks to the Christians. 
they they started to move towards the Christian worldview. So those were our four cultures. So in summary, other religions have similar basic ideas of Christianity, but they fall short on the details. So what are the similarities? In all these religions, there is a belief in an afterlife. In all religions, there's a belief in an afterlife, pretty much. Now, there's a belief in a spiritual realm. There's a belief in a human soul. So all these pagan religions have similarities to Christianity, but they also have very crucial differences such as the way to obtain salvation. So the way to enter the afterlife. Now, Egyptians and Christians both believe that preparations need to be made for the afterlife. Uh, the Egyptians believe that the physical body needed to be prepared and preserved for the afterlife. But the Bible teaches in 1 Corinthians 15, 53, that our physical bodies will be changed into incorruptible flesh. So we don't need to preserve our physical body. So the preparations the Egyptians made were for the physical body. The preparations the Christians make are preparing our soul, preparing our, you know, be believing in Jesus and being saved prepares us for the afterlife and being conformed to his image. So we make preparations by being conformed to the image of God. They make preparations by preserving the body and embalming it. Egyptians also believe that the scarab amulet would cover their sins and make them blameless in the, the judgment ceremony, the weighing of the heart. But the Bible says that the shed blood of Jesus covers our sins and makes us blameless. So again, the similarity of a need to be made blameless, a, a, a knowledge of sin and a need to be made blameless. But the difference is they prepare for it by, by manly terms. We prepare for it by heavenly terms. Now, the main thing is all religions aside from Christianity are works-based. Do XYZ to earn your place in the afterlife. Do XYZ to be saved. Now, Christianity says Jesus did this. Jesus did all the requirements. You believe on him and you become saved. So does the Christian walk stop at salvation? No, it starts at salvation. But when, it, when in terms of obtaining access to the afterlife, Jesus did the work and it is faith-based. So all other religions, all of them, aside from Christianity, are works-based. Christianity alone is faith-based. You believe on Jesus and what he did and you are saved. Other things, you, you believe in whatever they say to believe in and you do these things to obtain salvation. You you deprive yourself of these things and you do these things to obtain enlightenment. You complete certain tasks to be reincarnated and work your way through a cycle to obtain a certain level that you need. Uh, you fight your way through the underworld. Now, all of these are works. So that is our summary. Now, let's get into why this matters. Now, why this matters is because all around the world, there are religions with similarities, especially a belief in the afterlife. So a lot of times, atheists and skeptics will use this point to argue against Christianity and say that we are just one of many re religions who think their God is the true God and they are correct. So they use the similarities between religions against Christianity. Now here's the difference. Christianity is the only religion that accounts for this very fact. The validity of the Bible is based on it, it predicting future events. So we have that. Also, the Bible accounts for all of these things that are left out in other religions. So. Ecclesiastes 3.11. Let's read that. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. So, he has put eternity into man's heart. The Bible is accounting for every man, follower of God or not, to have a sense of eternity. This is why we are seen as 
without excuse when we die and we, we don't follow Jesus. We are found without excuse, not only because creation around us gives perfect evidence of God, but because he also put eternity into the hearts of man. He put it into your heart that there is an afterlife. That's why all these other religions have an afterlife. You can't escape the eternity in your heart. You can try, you can sear your conscience, you can be deceived. There's all these different things that you could do to kind of sort of mitigate its influence, but it doesn't change the fact that eternity is in the hearts of man. So while other religions lack this explanation for the similarities between religions, the Bible is strengthened by this fact because it gives an answer. It gives an account for it. You would think any other religion would give some sort of account for that fact. But to my knowledge, none do except for Christianity. So this is another tool in your belt. That's why this matters, because the Bible has an answer for one of the, the major cases against it, seemingly. So that's great to know. That's a great tool to have. And thank you guys for coming out again to our little channel here. And man, boy, is it a blessing. Thank you to Tom Dunn for the Resist and Rescue shirt. It is awesome looking through the black and go check out Tom Dunn's documentaries. I highly recommend them. Seriously, go get them. Uh, I don't even know which one to start with. Maybe this is war. And then what I was told was the, the bonus disc for the material for this is war is a must have. So I've yet to watch that. I have them sitting right over there, but we me and my wife haven't watched that yet. Maybe we'll watch that tonight, but, um, thank you guys. God bless you. I pray that God protects you and blesses you, removes anxiety, removes fear, removes worry, and just gives you his peace. Learn to walk in his peace. Follow what he says and just experience the joy of the Lord. You're here because he wants you here. That is a joy in and of itself. So thank you guys. And now we're going to get into our paid content of what I've been learning in my research for the conference. So thank you guys and stay rad.